Would you please, uh, would you please pray with me? Let's pray. Lord, I'm so thankful for this church. I'm thankful for every person here. Lord, I really believe that the, the best for our church is still ahead. And so today, I pray that you would get us excited. You would give us clarity. You would help us to see that um, your resurrection power is working in our church and you're calling all of us to be engaged. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> so I, I've been out of the pulpit for a while. It's, it's uh, excited, excited. Uh, we're, we're talking about where our church is going. And uh, for, before we go there, I just wanted to say this. I wanted to say that when it comes to like annual meeting and, and talking about the vision of our church, it puts me in like a place of reflection. I just start to think about the years that I've spent at CLC. And I think it's, it's been maybe over 15 years or something like that. But um, I, I was thinking about our church. And one thing I just wanted to express to all of you is that I really love this church. I really love this church. And let me, let me give you, you know, a couple reasons why. But the first reason why is, like Patrick, I met my wife here at this church. And, uh, yeah, I'm very excited about that. And, uh, you know, I met her in a home group. And I don't want to go into the story. But since you want to know, let me just tell you a little bit. There were a lot of guys that were after her. But your pastor entered into the contest and he won. Can I get an amen? amen? All right. But I think there's more than that as a reason why I love this church. <clears throat> I found my calling at this church. You guys invested in me and made my family your family. But you also invested in me, in me as a leader. You guys mentored me. You guys invested in me relationally. You guys gave me chances, opportunities. I don't know why you did, but you did. I would say that normally pastors have to go, it's no secret, from one church to the next church to the next church to get developed. Because when you're homegrown, no one respects you, you know? But I would say it's different at this church. I have just been a one-church pastor, and I have grown so much of this church. You guys have invested in me. And I feel this great sense of gratitude to this church. But, but as great as this church is, I'll tell you what the, the best thing about this church is. Okay? Best thing about this church. The best thing about Christian Layman Church is the servant-heartedness of the people. Would you say that's true? Uh, to put it in the words of someone else, not to be offensive... But something on Christian Layman Church amazed them when they first came. And they said, I see a bunch of old guys pushing around chairs. That's what they said. I didn't say that. <laughs> but, but, but normally, you know, in another church, you get the young guys to push around the chairs. But all the, the leaders are pushing around chairs. They're servant leaders. They love to serve. I'll give you another example of how at the heart of Christian Layman Church is this willingness to serve. Not too long ago, there was this myth. There was this myth that in our church, only, you know, a few people were serving 
and everyone else wasn't. That was kind of the myth, you know? It's like maybe the, the 2080 rule. Uh, there was one time that Raina and I, we picked up a church directory that has all the members in it. And we just went through the whole directory, name by name, family by family. And what we found really, really surprised us. The overwhelming majority of the people at our church who would say, this is my church and I'm a member of this church, they're all serving. It's kind of hard actually to find someone that isn't involved in one way or another. A home group, home group leader, usher, hospitality, we're all serving. And I, I work with some of the leaders, and I am just amazed by the leaders. Now, let me just tell you a few reasons why. Some of these leaders have young families. And if you have a young family, man, you just have zero time. I know because I have a young family, I have zero time. And they have a full-time job. Somehow, I don't see how they do it, they're still creating sacred space in their lives to be giving themselves to this church, to be serving, to be investing in people, investing relationally, praying, really caring about what's happening in our church. I don't, I don't, how, I don't see how they do it. But I've worked with some humble, gifted, noble people that I'm so proud to call gospel partners and friends. And I will say this. There are times when I'm talking to my kids and, you know, you, you go into the Bible, you talk about values and principles, but I want more than that. I want models that they can look up to. Sometimes in my thinking of my kids and the men and women that I want them to become, I will think of some of the people in our church. And I feel like I would so love it if my son became like this, this man. I would, I would be so honored if my daughter became like, like this person in our church. And I'm telling you, that is like the highest compliment I can give you guys. That I would be so honored that my children would become like some of you. And so I, I just wanted to say, right off the bat, I love this church. I'm so thankful for this church. But I want to put this into perspective. It's not just, oh, okay, I'm, I'm happy that Andrew really loves this church. But let me just put everything into perspective, Okay. Listen to this. There is going to come a point in everyone's lives when this life will pass and they will stand before Jesus Christ in judgment. The scripture makes that very clear. Every person will stand before Jesus in judgment. Now, when you stand before Jesus in judgment, I want you to imagine being able to say to Jesus, among other things, Jesus Christ... As you look at my life, as you look at what I spent my time on, what my heart was devoted to, I loved the very same thing that you loved. I valued what you valued. I cared about what you cared about. Uh, Let me put it like this. It was not too long ago, I was in the car with my son. His name is Ryan. He's going to kindergarten. Uh, every day I have about like 20 minutes of time just to spend it with him. We're having some of the best conversations just in the car talking about whatever. And you know in the last season, our church has been going through a series called Living Simply, Giving Generously. So I'm thinking about giving to the poor and being generous. So I'm in the car, he's in the back, and I say, Hey, Ryan, do you know that one day you're going to make a lot of money? No, I'm not saying it because I, you know, I want him to go to Harvard. It's not like that, you know. Although, you know, Cal would be nice. But, but 
I, I'm just saying that compared to half of the world, and because you live in America, you are probably going to make a lot of money compared to half the world lives on $2 a day. So you're probably going to make a lot of money, and Ryan, you've got to think very carefully about how you spend your money. So let's say, again, this is all in the back, of, he's in the back seat. Let's say I give you $20,000. Oh, right? $20,000. What would you buy with that money? Now he's thinking about it. Hmm, Papa, that's a good question. And he goes, I know, I will buy a Hyundai. <laughs> I'm like, a Hyundai? <laughs> you know, I'm not going to like throw sand on his little spark. You know, he will, a Hyundai. Oh, that's, that's great. That's great. Yeah, Hyundai, you know, it's uh, energy efficient. It goes 50 miles per hour on the highway. <laughs> Woohoo! You know, a uh, Hyundai, that's good, that's good. But you got, you got all this money, you got all these opportunities. You could buy a Hyundai. That's not a bad decision. You need wheels. You're probably going to need transportation. Hyundai's good, good, good. But you know you could buy that Hyundai, or you actually could spend money on, like, maybe supporting 30 kids who are starving overseas. I'm not trying to make him feel guilty. I'm just saying that he has options, and he has, he has resources, and he has choices. That's all I'm saying. Well, my son thinks about it. And so I go, would you go the Hyundai or the 30 starving kids? Hyundai. And he goes, Baba, I would go with the Hyundai. <laughs> I said, great. That's good. You need wheels, yeah. That's good. But then he goes, it's like an epiphany happened. Oh, pa- oh, Baba, I know, I know, I know. I know what to do. I will buy the Hyundai. I will fill the trunk with all sorts of food. And I'll drive to Africa and feed the kids. (laughs) Now, I got to tell you, that was a happy moment for me. I was really genuinely happy. Okay, number one, my son is thinking, I'm going to provide for myself, but I also want to provide for other people. He's he's employing creative thought. He's thinking about win-win situations. I am really happy about that. But you know what really made me most happy? What made me happy is my son is starting to value things that I value. He's starting to care about things that I care about. It's not just himself. It's about other people. He's, he's broadening his heart. He's caring about the things that are really worth caring about. And I was, I was, he grew this much in that conversation. I was really happy. Now, I just want you to think about this. How happy is Jesus Christ when you care about what he cares about? When you value what he values. Now, what does he value? I'm convinced as I read the scripture that Jesus, the love of his life is the church. What we do here, he values. What we're trying to accomplish here, he cares about. The people that you are becoming together, Jesus loves this church. He thinks it is so important. Now, how do I know this? I'll just give you one example. In Ephesians 5, Paul's talking to husbands. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. Now, how do I know that the church is the love of his life? Well, because a hus- the hu- love of a husband's wife is... Men, help me out. His wife. Come on, come on right? And so, who's the love? The love of Jesus Christ is it's, it's his church. He loves the church. He loves the church. You leaders who are giving your lives to this church, I want to say, you're not crazy. You are spending your lives on what matters most. 
on what's most dear to Jesus Christ's heart, which is the church. He gave his life for her, and you're giving your life to the church. And one day you'll look at Jesus in the face, and maybe one of the things you say is, Lord, I gave my life for the very thing that you gave your life for. That's a life worth spending. That's the life I'm compelling you all to, uh, to live. Okay, um, <clears throat> a little quiz. A little quiz. Uh, what I'd like you to do is look in your bulletin. Uh, a lot of the ways that you will respond and correspond with me and with us is through some of the, the, the papers in the bulletin. What I want you to do is to look on the last page which is the second page of the actual, you know, uh, a flyer, a uh, bulletin. And what you will see are my notes with a lot of blanks in it, okay? Now, we're going to quiz two things. Number one is your knowledge, and number two, how effective I've been in casting the vision. Now, I actually feel that I haven't done this enough, so I'm not expecting you guys to get a really good score, but you can put it on me, uh, and, and that's fine. But what I want you to do is do your best right now to fill out all the blanks, okay? I'm supposed to be repeating this on a weekly basis. So, actually, I don't want to put it on me. It's on you. Let's see how well you guys do. Try to fill out the blanks, okay? Now, with clarity, you know, someone says, well, where is this church going? Uh, what does this church stand for? What, what, what are you trying to do? What do you value? That sort of thing. And, and then if you fill out this sheet, it should give you a, a, a better sense of where we're going, what we stand for, what we're trying to do. Okay? There's some missing words. Give you a minute. Try to go for it. If you've never seen, you, you're like, the, this is my first time here. How am I supposed to know? Just guess. Just take a look around the room and think, how would these people think? And, and just write down whatever word comes to your mind. Okay. Charlie will be playing some Jeopardy music and no. Okay. Go, uh, 30 seconds. Go for it. All right, let's do this. We don't have too much time, so we're going to try to just hurry through this. Not for the point of inspiration, but at least for the point of clarity. Okay, this is our mission statement, okay? <clears throat> Why do we exist? We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ that love God, love people, and serve the, word, uh, the world. Uh, there are, are, are two scripture pieces that this comes from. They are of weighty importance. Can anyone tell me what they are? First one is the first commandment, the greatest commandment, and the second one is the great, the great, the great commission. Okay, try to argue against that. That's what we stand for. Those are directives from Christ. There you have it. We're making disciples. We're making disciples. What do those disciples look like? Well, they love God. They love other other people, and they serve the world. Okay. All right. All right, well, you know, so what does that mean? How do we do that? Okay, well, there's three movements at our church, three movements. First one is discipleship. 
Culture, culture, culture is there because we're not going to engage you in discipleship on one level, but multiple levels. It's holistic. It's full engagement. And that means culture, discipleship, culture. Okay. And then secondly, thriving community. Okay. Someone's happy that they got it right. Number, number three would be compassionate outreach, not forceful, but compassionate. Okay. Did anyone get all seven right? Come on, the overachievers in the room. I am doing a bad job. Okay, that, that's on me. That's on me. Did anyone get most of them right? Okay, okay, about half of you. About half of you. Okay, uh, okay, so for the sake of clarity, is that clear? At least the words are there, right? Okay, we're gonna re- we should return to this often and tell you more about what it means. But let me try to unpack to you and tell you more about what it means. Okay, discipleship culture. What does that mean? What does that mean? Uh, during this presentation, I'm going to give you five invitations. This is the first invitation. It's very quick. I'm going to have time later on to unpack it. After Easter, I want to take the church to the book of Ephesians. I think it's going to take us to the next level of renewal, through the book of Ephesians. Now, why the book of Ephesians? Let me just give you one reason why. There are certain books in the Bible that are very theological in nature. Maybe we're not ready for that yet. But Romans, substitutionary atonement. I mean, it's really, really deep, really, really theological. There are other books that are more practical in nature. Give me one example. James. Let's talk about favoritism. Let's talk about prayer. Let's talk about suffering, right? It's very topical and practical. Ephesians is both. I mean, have you read the first four of Ephesians? It is really weighty. Weighty, weighty. But you read the last two chapters, and what is it about? Husbands, wives, friendships, dating. Well, sort of dating, kind of. Uh, 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 Parents, children, people who work. I mean, it's very practical. So you have the, the best of both. You have deep theological and really, really practical instructions to different people in different life stages and groups. So I like that balance. It's going to be good. So here's the first invitation. Some of you are going through like a a, a devotional, maybe. Uh, Maybe you want to take a break from that devotional and join us in your personal, private uh, Bible study. Some of you are not going through something planned. Why didn't you start joining us now? Just get ready for it. Just start in your private devotions going through the book of Ephesians. Okay? I'll talk about more of reasons why, but just wanted to throw that out there as a little bit of a teaser, and you can go ahead and consider that. Let's talk about discipleship culture. Okay, now, uh, 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 discipleship culture. Okay, now, if I'm going to describe what this is to you with, with you know, trying to be as, as short, brief, and as compelling as I can, I would show you the very reason why Yan Chin is a member today. This is, the, this is the mug, okay? I just want you to take a look at this mug. And if I'm going to describe what discipleship culture is to you, I would reference this mug. You guys see the mug, okay? The mug has three boxes. It's like boxes that you would check off, right? And then there's a word to the right of each of those boxes. The first word is hot. The second word is cold. And the third word is lukewarm, now to the bottom, it's almost microscopic, but here it is. Revelations 3.16. Can we flash that on the, on the, uh, on, on the screen? Revelations 3.16. Some churches choose John 3.16. We've chosen Revelations 3.16 because it's part of what it means to be a discipleship cult, uh, church. This, Revelations 3.16 is what the American church needs to hear. 
We've had a lot of John 3.16. That's wonderful. It's great. It's wonderful. But then you also need the Revelations 3.16. Okay, there it is. This is Jesus correcting his church and he says, Look, I would rather you be hot or cold. But because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Okay, so on this cup, we crossed out the option of lukewarm, as if to say to the entire church, you guys, the option of lukewarm, let's not even consider that an option. Let's be a church that is fired up for Jesus. So if you're here today and you're like, you know, honestly, my, I'm, I'm kind of lukewarm. You know, Jesus is a part of my life. I wouldn't say he's all of my life. If you're here today, the word for you is, you guys, we want to be a church where everyone is fired up for Jesus. And it's contagious. And it's rubbing off on each other. And we're spurring each other on. Now, that leaves you in a place if you're feeling lukewarm. Either, okay, yeah, I want to go that way. And I want to be a part of this. Or I don't want to go that way. I'd rather just stay lukewarm. And so then this is not the church for me. No, I would never want to say, hey guys, leave this church. No, 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 that's not my heart. That's not the God's heart. But it's not a good option for us to say, I'm going to be lukewarm and I'm just going to stay being lukewarm. We got to be fired up for Jesus together. We're going to spur each other on to, to greater heights of love for Jesus and discipleship together. So what does culture of discipleship mean? I would say, I think the mug is basically giving you a pretty good sense of what that means and where we're going. Now, um, okay, you're asking questions like, okay, well, what does that mean? How do we do that? You know, now I could give you five ways that we do that. I'll give you one today. Oh, by the way, little teaser, in the fall, we are really considering going through Francis Chan's uh, multiply curriculum which is about discipleship. And you know, Francis Chan, he does not hide from uh, going deep and striking at hard truths. That's something to definitely look forward to. But in the fall, we want to roll out an official mentoring program. Now, what we'd like for our church is every single person in our church to have a Paul and to have a Timothy. Now, what's a Paul? A Paul is someone further down the road of discipleship who is actively contributing to my growth, who is actually contributing to the development of my faith. A Timothy is someone I'm investing in, maybe not as far down the road as me, that I'm actively contributing to their faith, praying for them, meeting with them, and uh, talking about things that are worth talking about. So what I'd like to do is introduce to you Johnny and Yan, who, who have a mentoring relationship and have been meeting for about six months. Uh, so Johnny and Yan, they're, they're ahead of us, you know. Uh, they're pioneers in this mentoring movement and church. And so I wanted to bring them up. Actually, the mics are right there, guys, so let's switch places. I wanted to bring them up so that we can all learn from them. Johnny is a junior at Cal. Uh, and Yan is, among many other things, opening his eyes up to, like, new places to eat. Because Yan is a big foodie. And... Uh, and, uh, and so Johnny asked Yan to mentor him about six months ago. And so the first question I wanted to ask is for Johnny, which is, what led you to ask Yan to be your mentor in the first place? Like, why did you do it? What were you looking for? Uh, why? Why? Can you explain it to us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Besides Korean tacos? Besides Korean, oh, okay. yeah. But that, 
It's a good reason, yeah. Yeah, so um, back in around June, I was listening to a sermon on, uh, in Titus 2, and I was really convicted that I needed an older man to be discipling me and to be encouraging me to live out the Great Commission. So um, after a game of basketball, I asked Yan if he could meet up. And then he took me to go to Fonda's, and that's when I knew it was a great idea, because the duck tacos there are really, really good. Um, but in all seriousness, though, like, yeah, obviously it was a good time, so we, we kept it going. And one time during our discipleship meetings, I asked him, so yeah, how do you live out the Great Commission at work? Because something that's always been hard for me, um, being a student at Cal, recognizing that um, sometimes it's hard to bring up spiritual conversations each and every day, right? Um, but how could I still be um, being a light in that space and reaching out to my classmates? So one thing that Yan told me that was really helpful was, um, you don't shy away from who you are. You are a son of God, and you live that out. But you don't have to slap them in the face that you're a Christian every time you talk to them, right? So um, that has been really helpful. So, for example, if one of my friends asked me what I did on the weekend, um, and I wouldn't shy away from saying, oh, I went to church. Because <laughs> before, I would kind of say everything else but that, right? Um, but now I'll just bring that up. And sometimes they'll ask me more about, oh, how was it? What did you learn? And that has been a great way for me to live out the Great Commission and just share honestly about how um, God has been using me in my life. Fantastic. Uh, I, w- I was talking to Johnny about this on the phone, so I was, I was like paraphrasing what he was saying. So you don't have to necessarily be like Tim Tebow, but you can be like Jeremy Lin, you know, in, in how you... Yeah, 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 yeah. That's Okay, Yan, I just have one question for you, too. So, Yan, you are a pretty busy guy, to say the least, and I just had dinner with Yan maybe a couple of weeks ago, and I just realized just how busy Yan is. Now... He runs a couple of practices. He's a family man. He co-leads a home group. And if that were not enough, he also serves on the board. So my, my question for you, Yan, is, is Johnny worth it? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> my question for you is, why in the world, you're so busy, why in the world would you, would you make time to meet with Johnny? I mean, do you even have time for why, why was that a priority to you to actually make time for that? Can you, can you explain that? Uh, he's totally worth it. Totally worth it. Uh, you know, I think everybody's busy. I, I don't think I don't think uh, I'm any different than anybody else in that regard. I think we're all busy. Um, I think two two reasons prim- primarily. One is because uh, I was asked. You know, um, you know. I remember a, a sermon, Pastor Andrew, you, you did a while back about the uh, Good Samaritan and how the Levite and the priest passed by the injured person on the road, but the Samaritan stopped and helped him. And you said, hey, you know, the Levite and the priest, they were probably going to some important thing. They were probably not just loafing around. They were going to something important, and they had real reasons to pass them by. But you said, and I remember this, you said, ministry is something that we do along the way. And that really hit me, and I realized, you know what? Ministry is something I need to be doing along the way. And, yeah, we're we're all doing important stuff, but... Along the way, we need to be doing things that, that come into our lives and into the, the river of our lives. And, um, and so, you know, I was asked. Johnny came up and asked me. And um, <laughs> it was really funny because I knew he was serious because he said, you know, I, I Googled you. <laughs> and I'm like, y- y- you what? <laughs> and and so, so I knew he was serious. And, 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 uh, and I thought, you know what? Somebody who's going to take it seriously, I'm going to take it seriously with him. So that, that, was, that was really, you know, really has been a really good experience for us. Um, you know, uh, w- w- another thing is that, you know, when I, when we talk and I offer him anything, he runs with it. So if I give him books, he reads them. If I connect him with somebody, he calls them up. 
So I, I realized, look, you know, he's really, he's really on this. And, and so it makes you want to be on it too. And I think that gets to the second reason why I do this, which is um, it's much the same reason why many of us might go on short-term missions. It's sort of the, the, the secret little sauce in this whole thing. You know, you go on short-term missions thinking you're going to help people in Mexico or in China or something. Or you, uh, you know, you, you go serve the homeless and you think I'm going to help them and give them food and, and love and attention and comfort. And what you realize is, hey, you know what? I'm really being blessed through this. I, this, I grew a lot through this short-term missions trip. Man, I learned, I learned a lot about God's grace through serving, serving the homeless. And that's what I'm learning here, too, is, you know, I'm being blessed a lot by Johnny. I, I love his passion. I love the depth and the, 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 the rigor in which he pursues things. I love the fire. And, you know, you, you, you think... You think back in your own life, you think, I, I used to have some of that. <laughs> but, you know, the decades wear on. You know, after the first, second, third, fourth decade, you start pooping out. You, you start just, you, you lose a little bit of that vitality and vigor and that zest. And, and I love getting some of that back by, by having it rub off on, on me from Johnny. Well, I just want to thank you both for really being pioneers in this mentoring movement at our church. Can we give them all, both a hand? So this is where we want to go as a church. We want each person to have a Paul, to have a Timothy, to have a Yan, to have a Johnny. Now, here's the thing. We realize that being um, a church with a mentoring movement, it doesn't happen overnight. This is something that needs to be cultivated together as a church. So really, before we get there, which is actually launching the program in fall, before we get there... If we want the program in fall and we're working backwards, what do we need to do now to actually prepare for the fall? Now, what we need to do now is develop something I'm calling a network of cross-generational relationships, right? Because right now, if, if you just put your name in a hat and we just started matching people, we don't know about chemistry. Maybe, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't even know what you want to be mentored in. So why don't we actually work on just developing relationships with, with people, uh, having, getting to know people who, from a different generation, maybe one or two, maybe even three people. And f- with, within that network, then you have a better sense of who you might want to ask to, to mentor you or to be mentored by. Um, and so that's what we want to do. And so what we want to do is to have another mentoring connection. Again, what we're trying to do is develop a network of cross-generational relationships. And the expectation here is that you'll be matched with someone from a different generation, either older or younger than you, and you'll go out to lunch or have coffee. That's it. You'll share stories. You'll pray for each other. Well, what's the point? Well, we're preparing for something in the fall, but what we're doing is just getting to know one another. We're cultivating fertile soil. We're going to grow stuff on that soil, but that fertile soil is just relationships, conversation. Okay? And so if you're interested in this, the second invitation for you guys, if you look in your bulletin, there's a mentoring connection card. You can go, I'm interested. Just coffee, just lunch, getting to know someone either older than me or younger than me uh, in, 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 in the faith walk. <clears throat> okay, so we're still talking about culture of discipleship. It's multifaceted. It's not just one thing. It's more than one thing. But certainly this is not comprehensive. Now, a strong part of the culture of our discipleship is developing the faith of our children. 
How many of you guys heard the kids here, the kids choir that was right here? What, what, what were they singing? Oh, he, he is, he is our God. How many of you guys heard that? It was, it was so funny. Immediately, Psalm 8 came to my mind, you know. Uh, through the lips of infants, he has ordained praise. Like a lot of times we think, oh, worship is with the... No, when the kids sing, maybe that delights God's heart even even more, right? And we had our own kids' choir that was kind of spontaneous, very cool. Um, there have been some exciting things. I don't know if you know this, but there have been exciting things happening in children's ministry. We thought it's pretty important for everyone in our church who cares about the development and the investment in our children to know about these changes. So I've asked uh, Pastor Cheryl and Jack if they would come up here and talk about some of these exciting new developments that are happening in children's ministry. Why don't you get on that side, actually? Okay. Okay. Your kids are all fine. They're all upstairs. <laughs> With all the teenagers. Before, so, before oh yeah, Andrew go, asks okay, me anything, go. let me tell you that um, this is going to be brief sound bites, but the detailed version is in the latest uh, newsletter, and that's in hard copy in the back. It's also on the website, and you may already have one from upstairs. But if you, if you need more details, this is in the back, and the, it's also on the website. Uh, and so everyone knows this is Pastor Cheryl, and on Pastor Cheryl, she has a, a leadership team, and Jack is one of the, the, the fixtures on the new leadership team. Jack, thanks for being here. Thanks for grooming yourself in preparation for today. Before I answer, any oh, okay, questions. no, 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 no. We have to, we have to monitor what Jack says. I, okay, I'm just going to. I hold oh, Yan personally responsible because when we became members, neither my wife nor I got mugs. Yan, you owe this man a mug. Okay. Question number one: I hear there are changes in children's ministry. And maybe this is kind of peripheral, or maybe not, but one of the changes that you actually decided to change the name. So what they do up there is no longer, as of today, Godly Play. Is that correct? We don't call it Godly Play. Okay, you don't call it. What what, what do you call it, and why did you make this change? We call it Bible Discovery because uh, we realize that that is a much better name to express what we are doing up there, which is nurturing with intention the children as they discover Jesus through discovering Scripture. And so we just decided the name should uh, reflect that, and we changed the name. Okay, so that's one of the changes. But that's not necessarily one of the eight changes that's no. here. I think all of you have this, okay? So that would be change number nine, actually. But So you have eight. Now, it wouldn't make sense for us to go and unpack all eight, right? So what I'd like you guys to do, there's changes in insurance ministry. Can you give us two? Two that are noteworthy. Just, just unpack two of these changes that are happening with Bible discovery. So of the eight points, the uh, two that I would focus on are the authentic storytelling and uh, connectedness to the uh, story uh, to the story itself. And uh, so Cheryl and has definitely heard the, the feedback from the teachers as well as the parents, and we want to connect what the what the children actually hear in the classroom to their response work time. So that's definitely one of the big ones. And the other is to give the teachers the training and the freedom to be able to tailor the story for, you know, different age groups and for particular classes or particular seasons. Uh, These stories and, and the kids, they really do connect. I mean, if you're in the class and you're able to speak at their level, 
they are very interested in Bible stories. I mean, they're compelling stories. We still like them, and if we're able to communicate that ex excitement to them by, by uh, giving them, you know, stories that kind of been filtered through us within the, the guardrails of Scripture, it, it transfers directly to the, to the kids. They really like those stories. Can you give me one or two examples of how these changes have bore fruit? I mean, yeah. how have these changes made a difference? So you talked about two, there's six more. Give me a couple of stories, some tangible stories about the difference this, the changes have made. So here's a couple of God sightings. Um, one has to do with we now have uh, music in the classroom, 24 scripture verses picked for this year, and on a CD that many of you have in your minivan. Um, and those... One of my favorite stories is a mother who told me that at Christmas time, when the second chapter of Luke was read in service, because the kids were in service that day, her son was able to um, basically recite that whole chapter because it's in a song on that scripture memory verse. So we've had kids who can definitely connect scripture uh, that they hear in service or other places more because of that. Another one that um, is kind of goes along with what Jack was saying earlier. Because the teachers are, we've been more successful in helping them to be free to be authentic in their sharing. Faith is not something that is taught as much as caught. And so there's a lot more freedom and joy in the class because of that. And you can imagine, right, I have a great team of Sunday school teachers. Jack is one of them. And Nancy Matsuoka is one of them. And they're both lovely people along with all of my others. But they're very different personalities, right? So just think about that a little bit. And think about how it feels to the kids to have a story told differently and authentically by the different teachers. And kids, you know this from any time you spent with kids, they like people and they like real relationships with people. And so the kids definitely respond to that. And um, as a result, I overheard a conversation about bullies in school, older kids' classroom. Um, I think the story was the Good Samaritan that had kind of prompted that. Uh, we also have a beautiful poster upstairs. I apologize that I don't have a way to bring it down. Have a look in room three. Uh, the kids uh, each drew a picture to illustrate a different part of the prayer, which was uh, Nancy's brainchild, and um, which finally brought full circle. One of our children has a habit of drawing monsters, no matter what story we tell. And, uh, and so that finally brought full circle because Nancy was able to say to him, you know how we've been telling you maybe not draw the monsters? In this is where you can draw the monsters. <laughs> so that is the illustration for evil. Okay. Uh, last question here, which is, what can the rest of us do? What can we do to support these changes that are happening in children's ministry? What can we do to support the ministry? Uh, so from the from the teachers that are in the classroom, I think the biggest help would be if uh, on a on some kind of weekly basis, you know, the the parents of the children can potentially help with cleanup. I think it's a very discreet and uh, very quick thing to do in terms of being able to help the teachers. And the reason why is I actually need help because I'm very forgetful, and I would love to quickly. Uh, and, and while I'm at the doorway, while I'm uh, returning the children and checking them out to you, to be able to tell you, what did your child actually do today in class? How did the story connect with them? How did that response time work for them? 
Because if I leave and I'm gone, for, you know, for like a week, I'll have forgotten. You know, that, those, those connections that I make with the children, I, I actually feel like it's very important for both the parent and the teacher to just share that moment very quickly at the doorway. So if someone, you know, especially the parents within the classroom, can come by and just help with cleanup, and it, you know, it takes like maybe 10 minutes, uh, very, very uh, quick and discreet uh, actions, then this will free up the people who are in the room to be able to interact with the parents as the children are being checked out. So that would be a great help for us. We'd love to have you there. And then we could even spend more time, you know, talking about how the kids have interacted in the classroom. Okay, well, thank you, Jack. Thank you, Cheryl, for leading us forward in these exciting changes. Can we give them a hand? Thank you. All right, is, is it, are you guys ready to go to the next movement, thriving community? You guys ready for that? Okay, let me try to define that, thriving community, just a little bit of a picture of that. Tom, can we flash that up? Why don't you guys read that with me? Thriving community, we dream of a spiritual community that is hospitable, loves one another, and spurs each other on in Christ. I want to highlight the word hospitable. Okay, so we dream of a community that's hospitable. One definition of hospitable is that if I'm like a new person, I'm coming to this church, I will feel welcomed and embraced. Would you say at this moment in time, like if you were a new person at CLC, would that happen to you maybe? Let me tell you a little bit of a story. Maybe you've heard this story before. Uh, I know this person who came to our church, and he came with a buddy. And he, you know, sat in the service, and he really liked the service, especially the speaker. And, uh, and then afterwards, he went to the uh, refreshment table, and he was like, you know, uh, chowing down on the refreshments, and they were good refreshments. I think it had like tuna in it or something. We do refreshments pretty well here and he was really happy he was chowing he was stuffing his face no one was talking to him he was talking to his buddy who was across the table who was also stuffing his face no one talked to his buddy they they were just eating the refreshments and then the person a said to person b you want to go and his buddy said yeah let's get out of here and they left and they were thinking this is not a very hospitable church now the person eventually became a member of christian layman church any idea who that person is me! That was me! My first time at your church! Okay? You guys were not very friendly. You guys were not very friendly. You're lucky I gave you a second chance. <laughs> now, <clears throat> I, I think I, we've also had stories of, of, of newcomers coming in. Like, wow, I'm warmly embraced. This church is so hospitable. I would say at this point in time, maybe we get like a B- minus in being hospitable. Uh, let me just say this. This should not be so. Okay, let, me, let me give a little bit of a scripture, kind of unpack that, and then uh, I'm going to try to give us some sort of solution. But this should not be so. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, thir- 11 to 13. This is what Paul says. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separated. Now, can I have a show of hands? If you're a Gentile, would you, show your, would you raise your hand? Okay, what's a Gentile? A Gentile is anyone who's not Jewish. 
So if you do not have Jewish ancestry or Jewish blood, you are a Gentile, just like me. We're all Gentiles, okay? So you, you, Gen- all, you, at one time, were what? You were separated from Christ. Now, can I, can you guys say separated? Okay, separated from Christ. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Can you say alienated? These are great words, aren't they? Strangers to the covenant of Christ. Can you say strangers? Having no hope. Can you say no hope? And without God in the world. You can say without God. Okay, that's depressing. In short, there was one time historically, like if you want, you know, like maybe like 2,000 years ago, when you were out. You were out. Alienated, separated, no God, no hope. You were out. And the Jews were in. But now in Christ Jesus, You who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Jesus said, I want those guys on the outside in. What does it take? It takes the death of God's very own son. And Jesus said, I'm willing to to pay that price. So Jesus Christ bought the price of you guys. So you guys could no longer be out, but you could come in. Jesus paid for that with his own life. Now, now, we who were once out, who are now in, have this mentality. Like, I can't believe God would give up his own life to, to, to bring me in. And so when you come to church, you're thinking, how can I bring other people who are out in? Who are alienated in? Who are strangers in? You, you guys see, that's the, that's the gospel mentality. There should never be an occurrence where someone comes to our church for the first time and feels like, I feel like an outsider. I feel out. And there's people who are in. I can say this story. There's a, I have a good friend at this church. He came a while ago, and he kind of had the same experience as I did. And he said, you know something? I'm leaving for the door. I'm not coming back. That's what he was thinking in his mind. He was making his way to the door. And then he heard this, you know, Andrew. And he turned, and it was someone that he knew. And they had this really good conversation. This person was very warm, very embracing. And this person was like, okay, actually, I'll I'll give this church another chance. And came back, came back. Now this person's in my home group. Now this person's, like, you know, very involved in our church. So what happened there? The sovereignty of God, without a doubt. The sovereignty of God through one conversation. One conversation. One conversation. Okay, I'm not the kind of pastor that just wants to beat you on the head, feel bad, feel bad. Okay, let's go to lunch. This is, this, is, this is the strategy going forward, okay? Jesus paid his life so out, people on the outside could be brought in. We want to do the same. So how is this? How is this? I'm not asking you to change your world, but how about this? Every Sunday, every person meet one person new, okay? Every Sunday, every person meet one person new. It doesn't have to be the newcomer. It can just be a person I don't know very well. Now, if you're here for the first time, like I see in the back row, there's people. Maybe you can also say yes to this too. You're the new person and everyone's new. So maybe make one new connection, initiate that one new connection every Sunday. I'm not, okay, look, I'm busy too. And I really have a lot of good friends at this church. So when I come to this church, of course, I want to spend time with my buddies. But if everyone just has one conversation every Sunday, just one 
You maybe have like four conversations with your buddies, but one conversation with someone you don't know very well. If we all do this together, we can be a hospitable church. One Sunday at a time. Everyone doing it together. Okay? Jesus paid for his life that being people on the outside, you guys inside. That should be our mentality too. Okay, more to say about thriving community. Uh, I'm going to do a quick plug for home groups. If you look in your bulletin, you will see the faces of all our home group leaders. Now, the reason why we put the faces on that flyer is because we got some good-looking home group leaders, okay? So take a look at them right now because there are some... No, they, they, they are noble people. They are people with great hearts. I respect these people. And you would be very honored to be in their home group if you're not in one right now. So take a look at the home group leaders. Now look, if you come wanting community on Sunday morning, it's really hard to find community. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's hard. You're mixing with different people every week. You need more consistency. You need more intimacy. You need a smaller group. So you got some form of community here. But how about taking the next step and joining one of our home groups. Okay, let me talk about um, compassionate outreach. Compassionate outreach. And can we read this together? What is compassionate outreach? And we'll read this together. Compassionate outreach. We dream of a church that reaches out to others with the compassion of Christ. Now, does this mean evangelism? Yes, it means evangelism. Does this mean the eye screening and compassion? Yes, it means that. But one of the ways that I would say our church is going to be distinct is the key word generosity. Generosity. Oh, I forgot the scripture. Let's read Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I would say that this verse comes before a series of verses where Paul is talking about the gospel. And he says this. He said, look, you are not saved by works, but you're saved by grace. If it were by works, you could pat yourself on the back and be all proud and say, look what I've done. I've earned heaven. And Paul makes it very clear. It's not by anything that you've done. You will go to heaven, but not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. He died on the cross. He did what you couldn't do. He lived the life you couldn't live. He died the death that you should have died. Because of what he did, you will go to heaven. You can have eternal life starting now. But don't make the mistake thinking, I did it by my own works. I did enough so I can merit heaven. No, 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 no. But then people go, okay, well, then what's the role of good works? He did it all. I get to just do nothing. Why don't I do a lot of bad things, you know? Um, and then Paul says this, well, you understand, we are his workmanship. So who's working? When I'm doing good works, is it me working or it's God working? Well, it's you working, but it's God working through you. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. You were created for this, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God prepared this beforehand. So if you're doing good stuff, it's because God said that you would do it long, long time ago. And by the way, it's his work inside you. So our church is becoming more generous. But it's not like, oh, look at us. We're such a generous church. We have all these resources. We're so good. Look at it. No, it's not, it's not like that. God is doing his work. And so he gave us resources so we can be generous. We're floored by his amazing grace that Jesus would, would be sacrificed on the cross for our sakes. And so whatever we have, we're saying, God, I want to give it to you. Whatever resources we have, apparently we have a lot more than half of the world. 
We're going to be generous. We're going to be generous. We were created to be generous, and God ordained that we be generous way before even the world began. So let me just say this, and then we'll have a little bit of a time reflection. Our church, I don't know if you know this, but we give away 10% of our income towards kingdom mission and global compassion. So every year, 10% of our income is about, it's about, um, you know, like $50,000, 51, 52, $53,000 every year. But on top of that, a year ago, we decided to give away from our generosity money. Now, this money comes, when you give us more than we were expecting, that becomes generosity money. We couldn't be generous if you weren't first generous to us. You were generous to us. So we call that generosity money. Now, of our savings, we earmarked $150,000 to be given away to kingdom causes in the space of three years. We created a kingdom fund. We said, listen, your mission is to spend the church's money. Go shopping for Jesus. Now, this is like the best ministry ever, right? And then we did this matching fund so that each year for, the, for these three years, we will match our people dollar for dollar if they give away money towards, to the kingdom for a ceiling of 10 grand every year. So this church has given away 10% of its income. We've tithed to global mission, to global poverty. On top of that, in the space of three years, we've given away, we're going to give away $120,000 plus on top of that, $30,000 to match the giving that you guys give. I just want to say this. I'm proud of our church. I'm proud to be in a church like this. Not that we're so good, but it's so good to be in a church that was created for this that God said long, long time ago, this church, I'm going to give them resources so they can be generous and you're part of this movement. You were created for this. This is not our work, but this is the work of God working through us because we are his workmanship. There is more to say about the uh, uh, Living Simply, Giving Generously series. There's stories, testimonies that have come from that. Some of the testimonies are still in the works. They're still happening. don't have time to go into that. But what I'd like to do at the very last part of this message is just to review We've had at least five invitations that I've actually invited you towards. I've talked about the three movements. I've talked about the mission statement of our church. I I will say this. I I will be very honest with you. In the past couple months, for certain reasons, part of it is health-related, I've been discouraged. I have been discouraged. I would say in the middle of this, uh, God sent this one person And this person gave me a prophetic word. And the prophetic word was that in 2013, he said, he predicted that I would have my best ministry yet. I'm thinking, you have no idea. This past two works have just been terrible. Two weeks. They've just been terrible. But I'll tell you, I believe it. I believe that the best for me and for this church is still ahead. Maybe some of the best of that is in 2013. We have been moving. God has been moving. We've been, we've been growing. God has been growing in us. I'm excited to be on this train with you guys. Now, I want to invite you guys all. Maybe you guys are at step one. How about step two? Maybe you're not in a home group. How about joining a home group? Maybe you, you don't do personal Bible study tracking with it. Why don't you do that? There's many ways that you can engage and be involved. 
This is for sure. We will not become the church that God has destined us to become if we not lock arms and do it together. My invitation to you guys is let's do it together. The best is still ahead. I really do believe that. Now, I'd like to invite the worship team to to come up here. Uh, Tom's going to flash a review of five invitations that I've given to you during this message. I might have missed some. I was kind of going off notes for part of it. I think these five kind of cover where we've been. I want to invite you guys to consider these five. Maybe some of you are not engaging in any one of these five, and you'll just choose one. Maybe some of you will choose all five. Maybe some of you will pick two or three. But what I do invite you now to do is to interact with the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, are there any of these invitations that you want me to respond to and say yes to, to commit to, to say, yeah, I'm going to do that. Now, the Holy Spirit has this amazing way of taking the message and individualizing it to everyone. Say, no, I think you should do this, this one, or this. Or maybe even this one, which is not in the five. Or maybe you should do all five. Or maybe you should just do, I don't know. The Holy Spirit has a way of speaking to people in the way they need to be spoken to. So open your hearts, open your ears, incline yourselves to the Holy Spirit. You can say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Would you consider these five invitations? We're going somewhere. We want everyone to engage. This church is going somewhere. The best is yet to come. We all need to engage, though. Would you consider engaging on these levels? Maybe some other I haven't mentioned. But would you just do that now? And the worship team is going to go ahead and just play some music. Would you just talk to God about this? I'll pray. And we'll just kind of uh, reflect, respond for the next couple of minutes. Let me pray. Jesus, this message today is about the strengthening of someone that you love so much your beautiful bride, the love of your life, the one that you died for. She really matters to us because she matters so much to you. And I pray that right now people might even like weigh their priorities if their priorities are kind of out of whack, that you would speak correctively to us, you would speak prophetically and pastorally to us. You would tell us what we, what we need to hear. Lord, I pray that we would not just put on the American consumer mindset, like, what can this church do for me? But we would actually put on the mindset of a servant and say, what can I do? What can I give? How can I invest? Would you highlight for us what we need to highlight? And would you let pass what needs to let pass? Would you speak to us now in Jesus' name?